I'm Chad. And I'm Cheese. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Our podcast covers news, startups, AI, automation, programmatic, and all the things the kids are excited about. (laughs) And then we drown it with a healthy dose of snark, attitude, and four-letter words. Subscribe to the Chad and Cheese Podcast today wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allow me to be the first person... Actually, that's not true. It's not the first person. It's not about the millionth person to say everything has changed, right? Welcome to the world of complete and radical change. This last, let's call it four months, heck, (laughs) this year has been uh, the etch of sketch of, you know, moment where you just take everything and kind of tilt it upside down and shake it and you're like, okay, we're starting over. Everything has changed. Right? We all stay home now. We work from home. We're going out a lot less if we go out at all. Uh, we're getting our groceries delivered, many people, uh, or they're, we're doing pickups. You know, We're almost wherever possible. We're not going to bars. We're not going to movies. We're not going to sporting events, mostly. Uh, what else? Gosh, we get everything in boxes these days. The poor people over at FedEx, UPS, and USPS here in the States, they're running around like crazy people. Oh, and Amazon, sure. Uh, they're running around like crazy people just trying to get people the stuff they need to kind of keep from going completely crazy and loco being trapped inside, right? Everything is completely different. Everything is different because everything is different. It's not crazy, right? I mean, candidates are different. I mean, if you were running an e-commerce shop, how people buy things has changed. Consumer behavior has changed. Their perceptions of what they need has changed. What their expectations has changed. Everything has changed. And then I go look over to our world where things haven't changed that much, have they? Right? Okay, sure, there's absolutely some impact where we are more involved, broadly speaking, with what marketing and comms is doing, right? We're more connected to them. We are seen as being a little more in the loop occasionally. But let's be fair. For the most part, after the initial kind of swing of, oh my goodness, we can't talk about coupons anymore. We better talk about our people. Hey, where's our people person? Oh, there's the employer brand person. Come on over. We want to talk to you now. After that initial kind of, hey, you exist and hey, you have value and hey, I want to help you so you can help me. Did things kind of come back to close to normal? for you a little bit? For some of you, I imagine it did. Now, for some of you, it didn't. But of course, for a lot of employer brands, the businesses in which they support, they were radically changed too. Everybody in hospitality and travel is getting their butt kicked because, well, nobody's flying the friendly skies as it were, right? No one's traveling. No one's, I haven't. I mean, I can't even conceive of going on an airplane this moment, uh, not till I get th- some things worked out, right? Only people who absolutely have to travel are traveling, and the airlines are feeling the pinch. So if you're running those employer brands, you're, you're having a very different time, right? Everything has changed. But for the most of us, it hasn't. We're still pumping out those LinkedIn profiles. We're still pumping out those articles. We're still pumping out those videos. We're still pumping out some glass door responses. We're still kind of doing everything we used to do which seems weird in a world where everything has changed. It doesn't seem like we have. And that's what I want to talk about. We get right back. Welcome to the Talent Cast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis. And I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing. I love how it's changing. And I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have 
in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking. And that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between those the big ideas and the getting the details right. So we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way. Ready to rock? One, two, three, let's go. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis, recording live from Chicago. You know, the dining room in which I live. (laughs) Well, I know, I know, we're all feeling it, right? We're all a little crazy, all a little stir-crazy. Just some housekeeping. Uh, I did not get a chance to launch the new updated version of the newsletter last week, so it is absolutely positively happening today. So if you have signed up, you are getting a much prettier, much easier to read newsletter than you have been in the past. Same great, you know, tastes, just a better package, a little more easy to read, a little more easy to use. Uh, If you haven't signed up, go to employerbrand.news and put your email address in the thing. I don't even want your name. I don't even care. I don't, this isn't a spam thing. This is just, hey, stay on top of things. Stay up to date, stay sharp, stay, you know, up to date on what's going on, right? That's that. Otherwise, what else is going on? HRTX, if you haven't signed up, you absolutely should. It is Torin Ellis. It is Chloe Rada. It is Allison Cruz. It is me. It is, it, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting somebody. Oh, I'm forgetting someone I like so much. Oh, Jackie, Gushy Clayton. Of course, how could I forget? There's, and many, many other people. They're really smart people. I'm going to talk about tactical stuff. In fact, I'm going to talk about how I broke down uh, and built a $400 content engine, a content generation machine, and I'm going to get a little more in the weeds than I usually do. So that'll be fun. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. You should go see that. Otherwise, um, some other stuff coming. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a busy, the summer got busy for me for in terms of webinars and, and stuff. I'm on podcasts and stuff. So yeah, yeah I'll, I'll put links in the show notes. You know how I am. Otherwise, oh, one last thing aside from the book, which you should buy, I would appreciate that or a review, which on Amazon, which I would really appreciate. We're inching closer to episode 200, which is semi-inconceivable to me, (laughs) right? Uh, This was a thing I was going to do. I think I committed to about um, 20 podcasts when I started this. I said, well, if I'm going to do it, I got to commit to 20. Otherwise, I'm going to... You know, I'm going to quit the first time no one watches or listens to the first one. And by the way, no one listened to the first one. And that's probably for the best. Those first couple, pretty bad. Anyway, <laughs> pretty bad. And it's, and it's all 100% me. The, the handful of guests I had on were great. I was not. Um, so I'm starting to think about what am I doing at 200? And I'm starting to kind of piece together some changes, some big changes, some small changes. Not 100% sure, but... When we hit 200, I'm going to nail the 200th episode. I've got some interviews lined up. One is happening on Friday. Hey, how you doing? Uh, Looking forward to that. I've got another one I've got to reach out to and set up because I cannot hit 200 without talking to these two people. They are some of my favorite people, some of my favorite employer branding thinkers, so I got to have them on. No, I'm not going to tell you who, but otherwise, I'm, you know, I'm rethinking. So if you've got thoughts on how to make this podcast better, what you'd like, love to hear it. Anyway, here we go. Here's a trick. We are, for whatever reason, and I have some thoughts on what those reasons might be, but they're pretty own personal biases. I don't, they're not couched in data or research, and I'm cognizant of when they are and when they aren't. Um, I think employer brand, okay, we know that like 70% of employer brand people report up directly or indirectly to 
TA, right? Recruiting. They are creatures of recruiting. And for the most part, up until the last year, I think that number was even higher. I think for the most part, there were only a handful of employer branders who report up to marketing or comms. Everybody was really very recruiting focused. In fact, a lot of employer branders are recruiters who decided they could do it differently and they became employer branders, which is great. No, there's no problems with that. I have no issues with that whatsoever. I came from the marketing side, so that's just my journey, whatever. But I'm noticing that it's, it's so, but what the data says it's 70%, roughly. 70% are recruiting. And recruiting, for all the changes that have happened to it in the last four months, in the last four years, in the last 40 years, doesn't like to change. They don't. They don't like to change. They don't. The, the change is, is not, it is not foundational, right? The way a recruiter recruits today is like 90% the same way a recruiter would recruit 20 years ago. We're talking pre-Google level recruiting. Before the internet was like a thing we all lived on, right? It was a thing, but it was just this cool thing that, you know, you would do the, the, the dial-up handshake and you would surf for about an hour and then you're like, okay, I'm turning off the internet so I can listen to my phone now. I can have a conversation. That's what we're talking about. The, the recruiting hasn't changed for the most part, right? It is opening up uh, some sort of form of, hey, do you want to throw your application and your resume in? And the resume hasn't changed, which is just beyond my comprehension. How has that not changed? How has the resume been almost exactly the same for the last hundred years. Just don't get that at all. But anyway, that's not this conversation. You open up the door, you say, here, please apply, whether it's a PO box and, you know, listed in the back of a newspaper on Sunday, or it's an ATS that you spend upwards of a million dollars on with the rest of your HRIS system. It doesn't matter. This, the, the process is functionally the same. Here is my personal information. Please pick me. The recruiter, looks at all the applications. They look at all the resumes being sent. They filter out the stuff that's junk. They throw it away. They send them a nice thanks but no thanks letter when they can think of it or they hope that the system automatically does it and doesn't ever check to see if it does. And by the way, there's always something wrong with it. It's always breaking, by the way. We all know the number of people who never get a hey, by the way, thanks but no thanks letter is still staggering. How is that possible? Anyway, again, not that podcast either. The recruiter then finds a couple people they like. If they don't have enough people, they'll go bang some bushes. They'll do a little research. They'll do a little sourcing. They'll ask some friends. They'll ask some connections. If they have any kind of reach within the industry, they'll say, hey, I have a great role for blah, 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 blah. If you're interested or know anybody who is, please let me know. I'd love to talk to them, right? You do that process. That process has been exactly the same since I started looking for a job in the 90s. Yes, I'm old. We've established that, folks. Come on, pay attention. Then once you get that handful of resumes, you do a phone screen. Trust me, that has not changed in 20 years, 30 years, 20 years, gosh, I'm old. Um, you do a phone screen, you look to sort out people who will not fit, you throw them out. You're really just looking to remove people, giving an excuse to remove people. Then you pass a handful of those people on to the hiring manager and their interview loop. You bring them in, you schedule a little office tour, you walk them around, you sit them in a room, interview, interview person, hiring manager walks in, grills the candidate, uh, you know, and just hopes, you know, gives no information, no indication that this person's a great fit or not a great fit. Um, there's always a single question towards the end of, to the candidate, do you have any questions for us? By the way, don't actually ask any, by the way, we don't really care. Um, you know, or if we do, it's a, it's a test to see what kind of level of thinking you have, which I always think is so strange. There's so little in, you know, back, you know, back and forth information with the interview process, right? But then again, you get to the end of it, 
recruiter calls you say hey we'd like to offer you the job you negotiate you lowball them you hope they accept you you know go back and forth you close the deal you send them a letter they sign the letter boom whether you're using DocuSign or mail or fax machines the process is the same the process hasn't changed and to some extent that rubs off on employer branders yeah, there's a new tool that you can tack on to that process to help source people, to help stack rank quality talent, to help identify who in that pool of candidates might be a hidden gem. Um, there's some AI that helps you kind of audit, manage your process and manage your funnel. There are these cool tools you stick on it, but let's be fair, the process remains the same. And thus, employer brand kind of remains the same. Yeah, we get some cool tools now and then. But our thinking, our process hasn't changed. And I don't even want to talk about the industry. What I want to talk about is the last four months, right? If everything has changed, if consumer behavior has changed, if candidate behavior has changed. And by the way, I did a little survey on LinkedIn last week. I got 172 responses in 24 hours. The majority of people have seen that candidates are making significant changes clear and significant changes, but the the truth is employer brand hasn't responded, recruiting hasn't responded. And that's because we tend to be driven by a sense of incrementalism. We tend to be driven by a sense of how do I make this tiny change that yields a 2% response that makes this process a little bit better. Never ever tip over the apple cart, just find a way to optimize a little, to tweak a little bit, to soften, to smooth, to, to grease the skids a smidge, but not too much because you wouldn't want too many candidates or you wouldn't want too few candidates. Hiring managers and recruiters have an expectation that they should have a pool of approximately X size. And for some people, that's 20. For some people, that's 50. For some people, that's 200. And not having a pool of X size means that you're not doing your job, which of course is insane because the truth is size of applicant pool has no bearing whatsoever on the quality candidate, the value of the total pool. If there's good talent in it, the size of the haystack does not dictate the number of needles in it. Can we just get behind that? Can we get our leadership to get behind that? Can we get our leadership to get behind that to our hiring managers? And there are many of you who are nodding fiercely. And for some of you, you've actually gotten that message through to hiring managers that they're not looking for an X number of application, that they're not looking for certain expectations that were true, I don't know, 15 years ago that are simply not true today, right? The platonic ideal of how an application process is two people apply. One person who's amazing who you hire, one person who's slightly less amazing who you say, I would love to, but it's just not a perfect fit, and everybody else and nothing else happens because anybody else added to that mix is a waste of energy and resources and time, right? Who cares if people are gonna apply if you're gonna reject them out of hand? If they were never gonna meet the criteria, if they were never, even if they were the only person to apply, you would be like, no, 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 I can't bring this to the hiring manager. There's no way. They will laugh in my face. No way. Anybody beyond those two great candidates, one who's greater, one who's slightly less great, is a waste of time. Just saying, right? We've all, we've all internalized that, but how often do we get our hiring managers to buy into that? Again, separate podcast. The truth is we are so focused on not tipping over the apple cart. I mean, let's be fair. We're still having conversations about Glassdoor. We're still having conversations as to whether we should be responding about Glassdoor. We're still having conversations as to the validity and level of value of ratings on Glassdoor. Meanwhile, Chad and Cheese, hey guys, how you doing? Yeah, I'm plugging you. Enjoy. Meanwhile, they're talking about how it looks like Glassdoor might be going away, that it might get folded completely into Indeed at last since they bought it two years ago. Um, We're worried about something that isn't going to maybe exist in six months. What the heck? 
What a waste of our time and resources. I'm going to go ahead and say right now that all of you who listen to this podcast are very smart and capable. Okay, so let's just put that out there. Every, every one of you is smart and capable. I'm not saying that someone's a genius. I'm not saying someone's not a genius. I'm saying you're good enough to do this job. You're good enough to think through this process better. And yet we still all do the job the same. What's up with that? Right? You know, you listen, you know, you go to conferences or you go, hear the forums and people are asking the same questions over and over again. These questions have been answered years ago. And yet here we are asking, what do we do about Glassdoor results? How do, we, how do we tell our bosses that there's nothing to be scared of? How do we convince comms that it's okay to respond to stuff? How do we convince uh, comms and, and legal that it's okay that we want advocates to happen within our company? Really? Are we still having this conversation? I was having these conversations five years ago, six years ago. I thought we solved it then. But of course we haven't because we're not making real change, unfortunately, on a lot of levels. My feeling is that, and this is gut, I'm sorry, it's gut instinct that I'm saying, uh, my gut feeling is that 10% of employer brand jobs are really doing the work that they should be doing, that they are talking about retention, that they are talking about employee engagement, they are talking about connecting to the mission and turning the mission into something that people can internalize, embrace, and communicate out on their own, right? Where comms doesn't have to check to make sure you said the thing right. I think there's 10% of employer brand professionals in a situation where the, and it's not about the person doing the job. Very often it's the company who won't let you do anything more than fill the damn funnel. I feel like we've talked about this a lot lately. Employer brand, yes, talent funnel filling is an aspect of the job in the same way that having a stereo is an aspect of a Ford Fiesta. It's really designed to do a lot more and that's not, should not be the reason why you buy it right? There's a lot of other aspects to that thing, to employer brand. And if you're just being measured, if you're just being focused on funnel filling, uh, you're in trouble and you'll never really be able to move the needle. You'll never, you'll be so focused on one tiny piece of the puzzle. It's like having an entire jigsaw, a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, but you're in charge of the bottom edge. And somehow you are now responsible for the puzzle. What? How is that possible? but that's how it's done. Here, here's the part of the funnel that you're, here's the part of the job that you, we want you to care about and the rest of it, don't worry about it. We got other people who, I guess, ostensibly think about things like retention and ostensibly think about things like engagement and occasionally think about advocacy and occasionally think about how the people inside the company actually have a role to play in consumer marketing and driving sales. Uh, somebody's gonna think about that, right? Except in my experience, there isn't anybody who's really focused on that. Occasionally, one of those things becomes a problem. Leadership says, we're going to form a tiger team. We're going to form a committee and we're going to go figure it out. And that committee meets and they throw a bunch of stuff against a wall and they produce the world's biggest document that no one will read. And they say, ah, we have listed every single solution to this problem. Problem solved, except none of it gets implemented because it gets watered down every single step of the way until it was as if nothing has happened. And the problem remains. I'm sorry, I just don't see a lot of cases in which the so-called committee tiger team actually makes the impact they were designated to make. Again, I'm a bitter, black-hearted cynic. You know that about me, and that's why you love me. Anyway, sure, I guess people are supposed to be ostensibly responsible for those other things, but really, 
That is your job because the real metric you are measured on is not talent funnel filling. It is not raw number of applicants. And I swear, if you're still thinking or feeling like you're measured by that thing, you need to have a painful conversation with your leadership and your boss and say, let me explain to you what this job is. And by the way, if you have to have that conversation, here's the answer. If I, and this is kind of a legal trick, if you take something to the nth degree to show how crazy an idea it is, that's usually a great way of making it clear how crazy this idea is. For example, hey, you think my job is to fill the funnel. Great, great. Let's pretend I have a magic wand and I triple the number of applicants for every rec. Does that make everybody better? Does it make your job work? Does it make recruiters jobs work? Does it make you happier? You've asked me to fill a funnel. I filled it so much it's overflowing. I must be doing an amazing job. Oh no, now I've overrun the recruiters with candidates who are crap. So that's bad. So maybe I should lower the number of applicants. Oh, now you're nervous because now you're saying there's only 10 people in that rec. There's only 10 people who applied. I have no way of knowing if they're any good because they never look at the recs. That's what a recruiter's job is for. It's crazy, right? And you have to say, okay, so if we take it to the nth degree, that's good, right? Because the trick is there's no optimal number for number of recs. There's no optimal number for number of applications. There's no optical, optimal position for how full should the funnel be. Most of us don't have systems that are good enough that if we got a million resumes today, we can actually do anything with them other than cry. Like a handful of us have eight AI systems that allow us to kind of stack rank stuff and identify people and maybe that helps kind of shuffed, you know, shunt some of the caseload out to people who are junior and don't have to worry about it. I don't know. That's only a handful of us, right? So again, that's how you have that conversation about why filling the funnel is not the sole responsibility because the only metric is unmeasurable. <laughs> you can't have a KPI that's unmeasurable. It's not a KPI. I'm sorry. That's just how that works. Anywho, it is retention. It is engagement. It is being the cheerleader and champion for a concept that connects to consumer marketing, investor marketing, the people, the leadership, every part of the company. That is the job. And you need to be moving the needle to say, look, we need everybody to understand that's the job. For a lot of you, it means starting with advocacy. There's a lot of different ways you can make that change happen where you get your leadership to understand that that's really what a great employer branding is or people brand if we're buying into what I talked about last week. If you didn't listen to that one, I thought it was a good episode. You should go listen to it. Moving on. So because of all that, because our bosses don't quite get what we do, because our metrics are weird <laughs> and often not in our control, right? You don't really have control over the things you're looked at. If you're expected to oversee the glass door reviews and the company decides to implement some sort of new process in which they send every candidate a letter that says, you're an idiot, I hate you, guess what? Your glass door scoring is going down. Did you make that letter happen? No, of course not. I hope not. Anyway, let's just assume you didn't. But somehow, some recruiter, some, somebody in HRIS sent that letter to everybody who's ever applied. Your Glassdoor score plummets. You get fired for that? How does that work? Makes no sense. So you've got to set your, your KPIs and your metrics to align with what you think the job is. And once you've established that and you've got a good enough number of KPIs where it is, you start to establish that what you do does connect to large parts of the company. 
then it is time to kind of ignore this incremental change thing. It's not about tweaking. I mean, sometimes it's about tweaking. Sometimes you're optimizing a process. But what I want you to start to think about is if it is true that the entire consumer process, in fact, every consumer has had their life flipped up side down, we can assume, and we got the data to back it up, that every candidate's journey and every candidate's process and every candidate themselves' lives have been upside down flipped, right? If it's completely upside down, if it's completely different than it was four months ago, why isn't our process different? And I mean radically different. I'm not talking about a 10% change. You're talking about candidates whose lives are completely different. For example, a lot of people, a lot of companies have an assumption that for most jobs, you need a college degree. And here comes boot camps and here comes, you know, you know, Udemy and, and, and Coursera and all these places that will teach you technical skills online. You don't get accredited necessarily. A school doesn't say, yeah, you passed history 101. You can have a job where you write code. Um, and suddenly everything has changed. But if you're still assuming everybody who writes code for you or everybody who does plumbing for you or everybody who works for you on a technical level has to have a college degree, you're not changing when the world has changed. And consequently, your job is harder because now your talent pool is much more limited and finite relative to everybody else who says, no, we're going to open up our and expand our horizons and say, if they can do the job, I don't care where they learn the job, we want to hire them. If they can do it, let's talk to them. And here you are saying, yeah, so long as they have a college degree. That's what I mean. If the world has made a massive change, you have to follow suit. You can't rely on incrementalism to get you to where you want to go. Now, let's not quite, not like, now, let's not kid ourselves. Incrementalization, ugh. Now, let's not kid ourselves. Incrementalism is the safe move. It shows a sense of progress. It shows that you're moving forward. It shows that you're caring about the future and trying to adapt to a changing environment, but doing it really, really slowly and small so as not to offend or scare anybody. And that's wrong. Yes, there will always be leadership. There will always be people inside your stakeholder circle who are going to like go look at you and say, what are you doing over there? What? No, that's a crazy idea. All I want you to do is fill the funnel. You've got to have some support so that you can start to launch some bigger projects. What projects? I don't know. But there's a project that you have. <clears throat> Sorry, one more time. But there's a project that you have in the back of your mind, in the back pocket of your, whatever you're wearing these days. Let's not talk about that too much, right? It's all pajamas. <laughs> Unfortunately, a little too often. Moving on. You have an idea that you don't just think is a good idea, that you don't like because it's a cool idea, that you don't like just because you're like, oh, no one's done this. I wonder if this is a thing. Or, God, I've always wanted to podcast. I wonder if we did a podcast for the company. Or, gosh, I've always wanted to do run TikTok channel. Let's do a TikTok for the, for the, for the company. Or whatever it is, right? There's, 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 it's not an idea that you're like, I'd like to do it. And if the company can pay for my hobby, that's cool. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an idea that comes out of left field. I'm talking about projects that if you took what the purpose of your job was and get it past the whole funnel filling and talked about concepts like advocacy and changing how people perceive you or let's get right down to it. 
actually directly increases people's desire to work for you. You know, the cool part of the job, the really important needle that we don't know how to measure, the really important stuff. If you can figure out how to radically change the quality of desire coming into your company, that will suddenly solve, quote unquote solve, your candidate experience problems or your ATS issues or recruiting that takes forever or your slow internal processes and all the things that candidates look at and say, oh, that's why recruit, that's why hiring sucks. It's this, it's this, it's this, it's this. And they're all right. But if you increased and doubled the amount of desire in the candidate, suddenly all those problems would kind of magically go away because they'd be willing to stand in line for Hamilton tickets. They'd be willing to stand in line for the new iPhone. They'd be willing to go through a couple of hurdles to get this thing they absolutely gotta have, right? So if you've got that project that really changes the perception of what it's like to work there, to radically increase desire, now is the time to start talking it up. And I mean it, when you start talking it up, start with this basic idea. Don't, how do I say this? If you start by saying, here's a crazy radical idea, the conversation's over. Employer brand is not allowed to have crazy radical ideas for the sake of having crazy radical ideas. You're not the marketing department. You're not the product team. You're not allowed to have crazy radical ideas. But if you frame it kind of like I did by saying, look, anybody here had their life changed in the last four months? Great. Do you think, is there anybody you know who hasn't had their life radically changed in the last four months, who hasn't had the entire table flipped upside down on them? Anybody? No? Guess what? That extends to our candidates. And we need to be where our candidates are, this new world that they live in, that by the way, we live in. Their world changed and we need to change with it. Okay, right now you've got them hooked because you're providing a framework of how and why you're bringing this idea to the table. Then you say, look, the way you change our perception, the way you change our outcomes, the way you change our hiring, our advocacy, all the things that we say we care about, the way you change that is to increase the level of desire for people to work here. Give them a minute to pause, talk about that a little bit, right? Talk about how if people want to work here enough, they're willing to go through some hoops and don't see that as a negative. They only see it as a negative if they don't know why they lo- would love to work here, right? So in showing how desire impacts, and now you're walking them down the path. And the next thing is to say, look, and so if you buy all that stuff that the world has changed and that we can solve a lot of problems not by plugging, you know, putting little pieces of duct tape on the holes in the, in the dam, but to say, hey, Let's radically reinvent things by changing the process, by changing all the inputs to what we do from a recruiting standpoint via focusing on desire. If you buy all that, how do we change desire? Boom, your project. Then walk it back. Look, I know this is a crazy idea, but if you understand it, if you buy all the, the, the points I've made so far, and this seems intriguing, but you're nervous, let's find a way to pilot this. Let's find a way to do this for the lowest possible cost, for the lowest possible risk. And people, people in leadership love it when you understand the concept of risk because recruiting never, under, never talks about risk. It's not a thing that comes up. It's a business term and HR and recruiting don't really kind of speak that part of the language. So when you can speak up and say, look, if we can limit our risk and kind of hold our risk back to the point where if this thing fails is no big deal, it's cost us 12 bucks, 
will you give me the opportunity to do this? And if you give me the opportunity, does anyone want to volunteer to be the first pilot? That is how you introduce ideas into an incremental world, into how do you introduce radical, world-changing, process-changing, perception-changing ideas into a world obsessed with incrementalism. It means 98% of your job is still going to be how do you incrementally increase processes or, or, or put more duct tape on things and optimize them and tweak them a little bit. But the more you start to look for and think about and present non-incremental ideas, one, the more you're going to be perceived as more valuable within the company, just saying. Two, some of those pilots are going to stick. And it will be expected that you're the one who brings these ideas and you can start to actually do for your own leadership and your own stakeholders what you intend to do to the outside world. And that is to increase the desire for your work, for your thought leadership, for your consideration, for your process, your ideas, your creativity, whatever you want to call it. Over time, you begin to increase the amount of desire people have for you walking in the door and saying, I got an idea. And that's where you want to be, right? When the head creative director of wherever you are says, I got this idea, they are literally paid to have amazing ideas, to have world-busting ideas, to have, whoa, I never thought of it that way, ideas. And so when they open their mouth, people are ready for it. And here you come, nobody's ready for it. So make them ready for it. Seed the ground plant things, fertilize it, till the soil, get everything ready so that when they start to hear these ideas, they accept them. Because if you don't, you are stuck in incrementalization land. And that's nowhere to be. Because by the time we all 2 and 5% incremental changes catch up to the world as it is today, it will have changed twice over again. And you don't want to be there. I don't want you to be there. Heck, I don't want to be there. We need to be in a position, we need to be in a place, we need to be pushing forward beyond incrementalization. That is our big challenge as of right now. And it's not that it wasn't a challenge before, it's just the inciting incident was not quite as clear as, hey, in the last four months, everyone's lives have changed. Why haven't ours? Why haven't the process that connects to people's lives changed? Doesn't that scream problem to anybody else? That's where you need to be thinking. Thanks so much for listening. As always, go ahead and review the podcast, review the books, say nice things about me, ping me, ask me questions. I'm happy to talk about anything on the air. On the air. It's a, it's a podcast. Who's on the radio these days? Um, I'll talk to you later. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. This has been an episode of the Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple of ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter at The War for Talent. You can go to the podcast website at thetalentcast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to employerbrand.news and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn and just say hello or let's just talk, that's linkedin.com slash in slash The War for Talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I'd pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me. Let me know what's going on. Thank you if you've shared it. Please share if you haven't. Rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week.
The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.